Welcome to Neurons to Nirvana, a platform for creative forces that embrace the unconventional and the quest for artistry, humanity, innovation, health, and healing of the mind and soul. Join me, Tom Hartridge, on a journey celebrating experiences unbound by physical borders or traditional norms, from inside the mind to the far reaches of the universe. This is Neurons to Nirvana. My guest today has been living his dream job for decades. Eric Alper began as a music publicist who has now morphed into a music commentator. You may know Eric as the host of the Sirius XM show, That Eric Alper. Even more likely, though, if you're on Twitter and enjoy music history, you are probably one of his over nearly 800,000 followers who has engaged in his regular prompts asking followers to answer society's most pressing questions like, what 80s song will always be a classic? Eric's perpetually positive attitude and love for music is easy to hear when the prompts are given to him. Let's jump in to hear some answers from the guy who normally is asking the questions. Eric, how are you today? I'm awesome, man. It's so good to see you. It's so good to be here with you, Tom. Likewise, man. Uh, how are things in Toronto right now? They are cold. And and it's funny because when Americans see Canada on a map and they see minus eight, they probably think it's really minus 40 in terms of their temperature. But it's still cold. <laughs> There's a lot of snow. We just got walloped with the third highest snowfall in the last 110 years, um, which... Um, you know, I'm sure all the climate change deniers will go, see, there's nothing wrong with the world. Everything's all right. But other than that, it's cold. Yeah. It's dark. Um, I'm working away. And, you know, this is what it's been like for the last three years almost. So you have to please enlighten me. I've spent, uh, this is about eight years ago, I went and traveled. So Roger Waters had a uh, concert, and I'm going to butcher it. So help me out, please. It was in Quebec, that the Plains of Abraham. How do you yeah. pronounce it in Plains de, de, yeah, de yeah, Abraham? Yeah. It's like yeah, or Plains de Abraham. That's okay. But uh, <laughs> that was an amazing experience. We flew into my friend and I. We flew into Montreal, and uh, it was hilarious because I don't think he quite knew that once we were in Quebec, they want to speak French and French only. So we Yo, we stopped at a McDonald's. They won't even and, talk to you if you speak English. Well, I at least had the gumption to say, uh, parlez-vous anglais? And they're like, yes, what do you want? And I was like, a Big Mac. <laughs> I mean, but uh, it's so... it's. And then suddenly they charged you triple for your hamburger. God knows, probably. But it's so crazy to me that in the middle of your country, you have a province that basically said, ah, to hell with you. Yeah. We're going to speak our own language. Yeah. But where I was bringing full circle, why you Canadians are so nice. Well, that's a pretty arrogant statement to make about our whole country. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> um, we, we are nice because we are constantly bombarded by Americans, whether it's the, the film industry or TV shows or music or politics, culture, so 
Canadians almost define themselves based on who they are not. So we're not like them. Right. And, it, and it's not like, a, a oh, we're not like them. It's just we tend to want to be like Switzerland, the good people, the people that stay out of yes, wars, yeah. the people that don't really, yeah, the people that just get along, you know, and like, you know, for all, <laughs> for all our problems that we have, they're nothing of what Americans are going through on a daily basis, just in, in terms of just sheer anger and division and politics. We don't have that up here. We're a pretty liberal country and have been, except for, of course, our dark history with the indigenous culture. Of Yes, of course. The th- crazy thing is Toronto's, how far away is it from Buffalo? I mean, you guys are pretty close to the border. Uh, three hours. Right? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Niagara Falls is, is 15 minutes from Buffalo, right? Yeah. And it's just like that. It's just night and day. Buffalo is ours, by the way. Like in the in the in the next trade, we're we're gonna keep Buffalo. We're <laughs> we're just gonna like you know make a make a new map, and you can have you can probably have certain parts of Canada, but we'll take Buffalo. Okay, fair enough. Fair trade. You can have it. <laughs> um, so are you are you are you originally from Toronto? Yeah, I, I'm from Toronto. Um, traveled all over America. I've been to pretty much every state on tours or music conferences. But yeah, I never wanted to move anywhere else. It's a great city. Uh, let's talk about the music scene in Toronto. So let's do some trivia. What band was Rick James in when he was in Toronto? Do you remember the <laughs> name of it? He was in the, the uh, Minor Birds with Neil Young. He he dodged the draft yeah, in yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. The late 1960s right. and uh, hung out in Yorkville, which is our version of like Greenwich Village and and Haight-Ashbury. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he, he was just trying to find him. He was just trying to stay out of trouble and find his place and kept getting in fights with the locals here in Toronto. Yeah. Just had a little bit of an attitude whenever he drank. And the band who were Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks, back then but the hawks were the yes. ones that backed up bob dylan for the electric tour the band used to have to break up all the fights that rick james were getting yeah the band is how yeah. uh that's when bob dylan went electric right isn't that correct yeah when he first yeah. went and people were shouting out judas <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who else uh was part of that scene back then in the toronto music scene neil young of course oh Canadian yeah, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, um, David Clayton Thomas from Blood, Sweat and Tears, the band, Marie McLaughlin, who still is touring, Leona Boyd, who is like the first lady of guitar. Um, um, Just a lot of a, a lot of folk roots artists. And that's where Tom Rush and Bob Dylan, um, Phil Oak used to. I mean, if you were a folk artist and you were coming to New York, you probably eventually made your way to Toronto. I mean, it's where Gordon Lightfoot right. got his start as well. I mean, so many other artists that are still yep. going to this day. So tell me and, and the listeners, how did you get involved in the mu- music industry? My grandfather had a bar 
Yeah, my grandfather had a bar in Toronto called Grossman's Tavern. That the bar is still there, but we're not really we're not a part of it at all. Um, but he started the bar in 1943, and it was one of the first live venues in Canada, not only to have music and live music with jazz bands and blues artists, um, but the first place to really have an alcohol license. And then the entire country went to hell oh, in wow. a handbasket after that, mixing alcohol and music <laughs> together. Um, but that was really where I kind of got. Not, not necessarily my start because the bar was sold in the late 19 in the mid 1970s when I was a kid but I was always around music I, I remember going to the bar as a kid and hearing the, the the artist set up and my my cousins used to work there and tend the bar and they were bartenders or that they were waiters or waitresses there um, my my parents before, uh, my mom, at least, used to stay up upstairs in the rooms upstairs, and that was their place. Um, and so I always, I always thought music was more than just music. It was community. It was a place where ideas could share, and the stories behind the songs enthralled me to no end. I'm then when I was eight, I saw a movie called American Hot Wax, and it told the story of. Uh, the DJ Alan Freed, who coined the term rock and roll and who was one of the very first rock and roll DJs in America. And he was based in Cleveland and they had a whole bunch of like doo-wop bands and there were like Hollywood actors and actresses playing these groups. Right. Um, but I, at the end, there was a giant concert in the film and it was the real life Jerry Lee Lewis and Chuck Berry. And it blew my eight-year-old mind. And when people talk about you know, Star Wars or sci-fi blowing their mind as a kid. Those, those two guys were it for me. It was just a whole other world that I had no idea where they came from. Um, but I knew I wanted to be a part of it because I have never felt anything like it. And it's kind of like where, you know, I know that you're a big music fan, so you would know this, where you read Tom Petty talking about seeing the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show and going, that's what I want to do. As a kid, that's that's you have no idea how to enter that world. But I just kept being a music fan. I got a subscription to Billboard magazine as a teenager, went to university for English and mass comm, started, uh, worked at the newspaper and the radio station there, and then started a record label and a publicity company the day after I graduated and stunk at both. I would just, <laughs> right. um, because I didn't know, you know, I had no idea what to do. I knew kind of what to do, but at least on paper, but it was it was just a learning experience and you and i sucked every single day until i slowly just got better and better and made less and less less mistakes even though i still make mistakes to this day um and that's that's it so i was smart enough to know to kind of follow the passion of what i wanted to do and what i love to do and just find my way into it even though i can't play any instruments um music to me was always magic it was always like being yes. able to take a inanimate object and make something beautiful come out of it um, and write a song about something that you heard overheard in a bus it blows my mind every single day that these people do it. Um, so I was smart enough to figure out what my passion was and probably too stupid to get out of it long before I could have or should have or would have, but you know, I still love it every day. When you got into the business, you were what, 23 or something? Um, I was uh, twenty. I was twenty three when I started the record label. Who were your artists? Anybody that? 
there was a local band in Toronto called Acid Test, and they had a couple of, of hits before we started working with them. Um, but it was really when, you know, I, I woke up one day and realized that without bookings nobody was going to come and see the bands play that i just put out their record and then without publicity nobody would come and see the bands play live in order to help sell the records and then i realized genius of me that i could just get paid for doing publicity regardless of how well or how well the records actually sold and i love doing publicity i love the media i loved reading about music i right. loved pitching stories i loved finding the you know, what attracted the audience to the band or to the artists. And so I just cut out everything and just started doing publicity. And I've been doing publicity uh, for 25 years now. The artists that you've worked with, uh, it's, it's so extensive and Im impressive. I mean, <laughs> I'm blown away with some of the folks you've worked with. I mean, it's unreal. Jerry Lee Lewis, Ringo Starr, Barry Manilow, Bob Geldof, Jerry Garcia, tell me about him. How did you get involved with Jerry? At what point? Yeah, Jerry Garcia uh, was signed to a record label called Acoustic Disc um, throughout the world, and they had access to not the Grateful Dead vaults, but the Jerry Garcia solo Bam. stuff that he would be putting yep. out with John Prizzarelli and all those sessions as well. So I got to work all of those albums for about 12 years or so. And then, I mean, it's just insane. Ray Charles, when did that happen? Ray Charles was four months before he unfortunately passed away. We were working the Genius Loves Company album um, that ended up winning something like seven Grammy Awards. It was his last studio oh. recording and it was on Concord Records and we sold about 300,000 copies the first week here in Canada of that album, which is the equivalent of selling three million copies in America. It was, it was wonderful. And I got to actually talk to him a few times during the late recording sessions when he was hanging out with Nora Jones and a couple of other artists as yeah, well. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was pretty, that was pretty special. Well, he, of course, uh, Georgia on my mind. I'm originally from Savannah, Georgia. So Ray Charles means obviously a lot to our, to my old yeah. former home state. I live in Texas, but uh, Bob Geldof, were you working with him during Live Aid? Bob when Gel was that? No, Bob Geldof was um, a little bit after Live Aid. He put out a couple of solo albums in the early 90s and, uh, uh, and then late 1990s and then early 2000s. There's an album called Sex, Age, Death, which was his first solo album in probably eight or nine years. So I ended up working three albums with him um, and he got to 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 play a bunch of shows here in Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver and Canada. And I went to go pick him up from the airport. And all I was thinking looking at him was um you know I I got up at three o'clock in the morning to watch Live Aid. Like I bought Do They Know It's Christmas. I I yeah, remember yeah. doing a, a a tableau in grade five of of I don't like Mondays. And I mean so right. many artists like Geldof that I've worked with that I've looked at them for a good, probably, probably to them, five seconds, but to me, maybe hours, just going like, I bought your records, you know, yeah, um, yeah. from Sinead yeah. O'Connor to Ringo Starr. And I mean, my days were, my days were and are amazing when I can work, you know, the Wiggles in the morning and Guar in the afternoon. And then, <laughs> you know. Andy Kim at night, like it's such a wide variety of stuff. And that's what I love about it. 
Smashing Pumpkins. When when did that happen? When Smashing Pumpkins put out a number of uh, concert videos and full concerts. Uh, one of them was live in Chicago that we actually went gold on here in here in Canada um, for the their their live DVD. So um, in the in between the stop gaps of probably. Uh, Melancholin and the Infinite Sadness and their album after that they end up putting about uh, a bunch of DVDs out together. Yeah, that's my favorite album, Melancholy and Infinite Sadness of theirs. So good, uh, right? I mean, it's epic. And then it's uh, yeah. 1979. I was born December 11th, 1979, so I would play that all the time. That was like my anthem. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote that for you. Uh, he wrote that for you. Yeah, Gordon did not write that for me. But it uh, it was definitely poignant, and it it, made, it meant a lot to me. Robert Palmer, what what was your uh, collaboration? Yeah, with him? Ro- Robert Palmer. I ended up working his last two solo albums before he unfortunately passed away. And actually, um, you know, it's it's his birthday this week. He was born um, this week I know. Uh, in the forties, and um, yeah. So he never. So he did one show in Toronto that I got to meet him and hang out with him, but I ended up working his last two solo albums as well. And he was just, just the classiest mofo that you'll ever want to meet. I mean, exactly how his videos were suave. Yeah, yeah. You could probably walk into a room and pick up your wife or, and your girlfriend of course, at the same bad, time. And he, just are you kidding care. me? He's a badass. I mean, his, uh, I have him vinyl sneaking Sally through the alley. Like that's yeah, kick ass. I mean, yeah. you can't beat that. Slash and Steve Vai. Slash, like, you... yeah. Slash was uh, Slash was during his Slash's Snake Pit albums, and he went on tour with ACDC um, for a worldwide tour. And Slash actually has a new album coming out in a couple of months as well. Um, yeah. But with Slash, he was. Um, we had a whole day's worth of media to do. And then I had to get him to the venue, which was this huge arena in Toronto. It was the Sky Dome, which is where the Toronto Blue Jays play. And there's like 45,000 right. people. And um, his sound check was at five o'clock in the afternoon. And we were late getting there. Just traffic on the highway, getting to the venue because everybody was trying to get to the venue. And here we are stuck in the middle of it all. So Slash <laughs> got out of the limousine with his small amp and guitar and top hat and literally started walking down the highway to the off ramp um, to get to the venue on time, passing cars that literally spent $300 to go and see him play in about two hours. So that was, that was pretty wild. And all I'm thinking is like slash is going to get killed and I'm going to be responsible (laughs) for it. And, and I'm, you know, everyone's going to get mad at me. Right, right exactly well it didn't happen fortunately um yeah so i was so thrilled when they came back guns and roses i got to catch yeah. them uh twice they i caught them in houston and then they came to uh acl austin city limits and he's just an amazing guitarist and i also saw him when he was with velvet revolver which was a kick-ass right. band by the way slither is still such a great song eh? oh yeah so when you saw guns and roses did, did they show up on time no of course not. No. <laughs> they uh, they had an they, I mean, dude, they were they were worse than the Stones. They had an opening band, and they yeah. came on. They didn't come on till like nine forty five, and you know uh, the doors opened at five p.m. So people right. were just and uh, Skrillex was their opener, right? So I wow. got a kick out of watching all these people in Houston, Texas, just 
what is this? Like, you know, and they're, they're expecting yeah. welcome to the jungle. And it, it was just a kick to see, like, they were baffled. So then yeah. Skrillex does it with like 45 to an hour set. And literally people are flipping out because they didn't come on stage till 945. But when they did, they crushed it. And it was epic. Yeah. And I'm so glad they probably they got didn't back even together. enter into the city until 930. Probably not. But you know what was really badass is after that first tour where they got Axel filled in for Johnson, Brian Johnson for ACDC. Did you see any of that? Yeah. That was amazing, yeah. man. Yeah. He kicked ass and he had broken his foot and was on that boot. In that boot, you remember seeing any footage? Yeah, there was there was talk that that Guns N' Roses were going to do some shows with ACDC, and Axel was going to pull double duty, and he was going to sing for both bands. That would have been amazing. That would have been epic. Um, The first the first time I knew that Twitter was going was bigger than what I thought. For me specifically, it wasn't the amount of people that were following me because I got no, I've got, I've got a concept of it, but it, it doesn't really mean that much because I've always posted and tweeted whatever I wanted to, whether I had four followers or whether I've got eight hundred thousand. But there was a night when I saw Guns and Roses. The doors opened up at seven. They were supposed to get on at eight. They didn't show up till, you know, at the end of it until about eleven thirty. Um, Are you serious? And all the while, I'm tweeting live <laughs> that night, and I'm I'm getting bets on what time they were going to show up. And I must have got maybe, <laughs> right, like I must have got like twenty thousand responses and replies. And I was giving away stuff all night. I was like, I'm going to give away like fifty CDs, you know, within the next hour oh. if they come in the next hour and somebody, you know, somebody guesses the time. And at the end of it, I think I I went. I think somebody bid like, or somebody guessed like 1145 and they showed up at like 1140 and I went to go to the merch table and I bought like Guns N' Roses shirts and hats for the winner. But it was, it was all over the world. I mean, people were just guessing people were like next Tuesday. Like they're just, they're not even going <laughs> to show up that night. They're going to show up like a week from now, but they've been pretty good. They've been really good recently. Yeah, of course. But that, were you at the Montreal show when Axel just flaked out and they had the co-billing no. with Metallica? There was that riot. No. Remember that? Even oh even if I was at that show, I would have left at the <laughs> first instance that something was going to go bad. I am not uh, one of these people that thrive on danger okay, and mosh pits. Yeah, okay, and good. riots. Good. I want to read that. I want to read about it afterwards. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I don't want to sure. be in the middle of it. So, do you have a big vinyl collection? No record. Collection? No, you don't. I, no, because I just I had a big CD collection because when I was working at Koch and then Koch got bought out by by Entertainment One. Um, when I first started, I, I had my own company for about five or six years. And then I, I got a job offer working for Koch and Koch at the time with the largest independent distributor in the world. And they were distributing 500 600 different record labels to retail in Canada. Right. Um, and they never had a, uh, they never had a bubble sis. And so when, when the president of Koch asked me to work, he asked me what I wanted in terms of pay. And I said, just give me one copy of everything that, 
thing that you're putting out because I'm going to yeah, spend all my paycheck cool. on your labels anyway. They had Beggar's Banquet, <laughs> right. which was home to the Charlatans and the Cult. They had Smithsonian Folkways, and I bought everything on oh, there man. anyway. They had Compass Records. Right. They had all the, you know, Metal Blade and Hopeless and Relapse and all of these am- amazing labels. And they never, nobody cared about Canada. We were 4% of the world to them, to the, to the record label. They would give us the promos and the bios and the photos and then just leave me alone. Because everybody else was right. concerned with getting records at retail, at just because they were a distributor. So at the time when I left Koch and E1 five years ago this summer, I must have had about 20,000 CDs because I got one copy of everything that they put out. I mean, they still paid me, but it was, yeah. it was nice to have a copy of everything. And then maybe three years ago, I just donated them all to the local goodwill value villages across toronto because i couldn't handle it anymore and i didn't need yeah, to save cool. it nobody needed to have the entire you know collection of what i had and to be frank like <sighs> i'm not one of these guys that have like a, a huge stereo system with ten thousand dollar speakers i have okay you know i've got a couple of like i got like a speaker like i got a boys boys system that's like a hundred dollars you know so Everything is all digital. Everything is all, it's all Spotify. You know, it's easy. I can create what I want and do what I want within. I I don't even have a CD player in the house. All right. Well, humor me. It's 2001, 1998. CDs are still king prevalent. Your house is burning down. You only have time to get your dogs, your wife, and your daughters out of the house. If you had to pull one Actually, I'd be nice. Five CDs to save. Yeah. And like one minute, which five CDs would you pull from your 20,000 collection? Five of them are right behind me. It's the three albums and, from Talk Talk, uh, Three Size Live by Genesis, and Songs from the Big Chair yeah. by Tears for Fears. Those are probably the, 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 the five albums I've listened to the most okay. that I... I would, I have several copies of them in case one goes missing. Though, And those are the only albums I can say that about. Why, don't you think Tears for Fears should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I personally Oh, they do. will. Or do you think? Yeah. You, when, though? I mean, it's the rule is first album's been out for 25 years. They've been out, their first album was... Since 83. Yes. Yeah, 83. So, like, when yeah. are they going to get in, man? It's time. And they made they made the industry a lot of money. I mean, look, when you when you go from the hurting, when when the hurting came out in '83, I was one of these um one of these music um fanatics who who believed that he learned everything about the world through the music that he was listening to. And when the hurting came out, I wanted to be as depressed and sad as the music <laughs> on there but i couldn't right. because i'm like a white suburban dude with a good family yeah. and a, and a happy, happy family. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but you know i felt it and then when song from the big chair came out i i i would defy anybody to come up with an album probably since the 80s that just sounds like this you know when i you know in the beginning when i talked about that this is all magic to me the fact that they could look at that album and say we did that from a blank piece of tape. Astounds yes. me to this day. I'm, I feel the same way, man. And I'm baffled that they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So 
They probably don't care. I I know they don't. Like that's just how they <laughs> are, and which makes them even more cool and badass. They're like, whatever. If we get in, great. Carol King, you worked with her, right? Yeah, I worked with. Um, there were four albums that she worked, including all of her um, re-releases that Koch ended up putting out from her um, from her 1970 era. Um, and there was an album called uh, Love that I ended up working. She did a number of shows here in in Canada. Uh, ended up doing some media along with her and and adore her. I think she's just the bee's knees for every angle. She's one of the greatest lyricists of all time. And speaking of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, how about it's about damn time? You know, she just got in. Taylor Swift inducted her. How cool was that? It was awesome. Yeah, that was great. I mean, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has always had a problem getting women in when they should have. I mean, the Go Go should have been in there years ago. Um, but yeah, that's what happens when you're like a white male dominated association. And no slate to them. They're always going to do what they want to do and everybody is always going to criticize them for it. But like, there just needs to be one year where they just let in 25 people just to get all caught up in those, those people that, that broke down the doors for everybody, you know, it's put, but it's crazy. So Carol King, she gets in and, uh, I listen, I've listened to him, but public enemy got in before her. There's so many, uh, they deserve to be in, but there's like just so many other artists that uh came after her work it's just baffling man yeah it's also just who's a priority too because like i i think you know the public vote is one thing and i don't think that that's fixed but it could be if it wanted to they could easily have whoever but even winning the public vote is only worth one vote out of the 2,500 people that vote on a regular annual basis for it. Um, but at the end of the day, though, I, I really do think, and it's not a conspiracy, it's just probably just the way <laughs> things are. There's probably 15 people that truly decide who gets into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And all of those people have their own agenda. They're people who have worked with certain artists. They were presidents of various record labels. They made them a lot right. of money. So they're going to make sure that their family and their friends and their associates get in there first. Carol King probably didn't have anybody working her or vouching for her, right, even though that right. she was always I'm on the vision. Yeah. Right. You needed to have somebody working and we, you know, we're, you know, massaging everybody from within. So she's gets inducted in the same, in the same class with Jay-Z and the Foo Fighters. So, right. So be it. Right. Yeah. right. As, as you do. I think that's awesome, man. Um, I'm all about, and I love all genres of music, but, uh, just on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, who do you think, besides Tears for Fears, deserves to get in in the near future? Um, oh, I think Phil Collins is is an embarrassment, the fact that he's not in there. Um, and it's not because I love Genesis, but when you just look at the, of Phil Collins' history, he's the only he's the only other artist other than than Paul McCartney. Um to sell more than a hundred million copies as a solo performer and as a group, um, 25 million copies of no Jack required was on the radio yeah. seemingly every fourth song for 10, 15 years. Um, one of the best all time drummers, I don't care what anybody says and probably, you know, wrote some of the greatest music of the last 40 years. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he has to go in. 
back to Genesis. So are you Genesis Peter Gabriel or Phil Collins? Phil Collins, I guess. Oh, Phil Collins. <laughs> Phil sure. Collins. I, you know what? And, and I don't slight anybody. I, I mean, look, I don't slight anybody that, that has that, you know, Peter Gabriel versus versus the world. Um, I got into Genesis in 1981 when i was 11 the prog stuff completely went over my head i didn't understand it i had no interest in listening to a 17 minute song about you know other worlds um love jethro tell but i only like thick as a brick because thick as a brick to me sounds like 72 pop songs pushed or smushed all together but i never got into yes until 90125 and I never got yes, into the Moody Blues yeah. until they started having pop hits. So I kind of missed all that prog stuff. But, you know, Peter Gabriel's solo stuff is mind-blowing. I mean... He should be in the Hall of Fame. He he, he did get in. I, I, I thought he just got in. I don't know if Peter Gabriel is in there. Fact check it, man. Right, While I'm talking, that out. Al- so, that album, epic. I love so. Epic. Peter Gabriel is in the Hall of Fame, 2014. You are oh, right. Yeah. Look at you, man. Yeah, and yeah, man. I, that's why I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to riff with you. But <laughs> uh, so should have won the Grammy, but instead Paul Simon, which is a good album, Graceland won instead. But I thought so personally. I enjoyed that one better. And it's funny to yeah. me because they both have similar. Uh, they both uh, were. Had Western African musicians, same kind of vibe. Remember? Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, Phil Collins. The fact that he's not in, he is a badass, and he's a, was the lead singer, drummer, and that's what I love is when the drummers are yeah. like the lead singer of the band, um, kind of like Don Henley. Who else has done that or pulled that off for the for the drummer stuff? Um, you know, Levon Helm. For the for the band, although that he didn't really have that much yeah. of a solo career, Dave Grohl um, for Nirvana and Foo Fighters, and uh, yeah, but he didn't sing. He didn't sing at all for Nirvana. No, like Kurt, right. Kurt would not let him sing. And I, I watched a really kick-ass interview with Howard Stern where he had already started writing songs, and he would go to Kurt and show them, and he would he was just like, nah. But it was cool, you know, it ended up working out because that's what he used for Foo Fighters. Dave Grohl, so that's how I came up with Neurons to Nirvana. I'm very proud, the first CD I ever bought with like the 20 bucks my dad gave me when I was 11 was nevermind. And when oh, I heard Dave you. Grohl, when I heard Dave Grohl play drums, I was like, holy shit. And uh, the two of the worst things about it, it's, it's a joke. I don't sincerely, but kind of was he took my drum kit when I was 15. And then he right. told me that uh, being a comedian, that was no way to make a living. But uh, Dave Grohl is one of my all-time favorite drummers and he's right up there but i gotta go with john bonham man this is number one yeah what do you say yeah yeah i mean in terms of feel like he's amazing the only reason why i think i'm attracted to to phil's drumming was it always sounded like another instrument like it it, it was just so melodic that 
in my in my car or when I'm doing air drums or whether I'm doing the sounds of his drum, they were always to me like he was playing guitar. And and even Dave Grohl himself, like, you know, talking about Dave Grohl, he said that too. He plays the drums like he plays guitar and he plays guitar like he plays drums, you know? So, um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I, I, I think with Bonham, there was nobody that had a feel like him and and was able to just come up with these drum riffs and patterns that that nobody had come up with before which is pretty it was, astounding it, it was visceral and and i mean when i first got into led zeppelin i didn't really but once i started getting into adolescence and puberty i started re-listening whole lot of love right. i'm like holy shit this music is sexual as hell like it's the sex his part drumming, right? oh man yeah and so Zeppelin blew me away. What is your favorite Led Zeppelin album? Um, you, you know, I, I, look, I like four. I, I like, you know, you, you, you can't, you know, I mean, like there's, there's fun stuff on in through the outdoor. Like there's some really cool stuff on there, but like for, from back to front, there's times on a Sunday where I just feel like jumping out of my skin because I've been working too hard and it's frustrating me. And <laughs> nobody right. in the world knows that I'm mad, but things just are happening. But to the rest of the world, everything is peachy keen. You put on like, you put, you put on Zoso and all of a sudden it's like, you just feel like they're doing it. They're doing it for me. They're getting my anger out for me, you know? So that's, that's a pretty heavy album. Two is great. One is great. Three is great. Everything that they do is great. And the crazy thing is, is what were they together for 11 years? Bonham died yeah. in July of 80. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, the Stones have been going on forever. Can you imagine what Led Zeppelin, like how far they could have gone? Even with yeah. an additional five years. Epic. Yeah. Uh, Especially because like, Robert Plant solo stuff afterwards, I kind of liked. I like Principle of Moments and Filmed at Eleven. Like I was like, hey, you know, yeah. you stick Jimmy Page on there and and Bonham drums and John Paul Jones. This is this is a pretty great album. But you know, yeah. they um, you know, but that's why the Stones are the Stones, and that there's nobody like them, and there never will be another, ever, ever, ever a band like that because the stones never veered except for like disco here and there and stuff, which is completely fine. Little, but like they were yeah, always, a, they yeah. were always a blues band. Always. Yep. I mean, well, Robert Johnson was an influence. Muddy waters, of course, yeah. like it's clearly evident that that's what, yeah. where they got their start yeah. from and, and Chuck Berry, you know, yeah. um, isn't it ironic that some of the best English Band, the bands from England were their inspirations were black musicians, yeah, and not American they were, bands because they were cool, isn't it? Because those musicians uh, that they yeah. were listening to were like amazing, like Willie Dixon or Robert Johnson, um, and right. James. Um, they were, you exactly. know, it, it took the it took the British to show Americans what kind of music they actually created and respected and deserved. I know. You that's, know? That's, that's like, I'm embarrassed. Like, why didn't we as Americans pick that up? It's crazy. Well, you, we you did, but you were always, yeah. yeah I mean, you but, did to a certain extent. You know what I'm saying, but, man. You know, yeah. <laughs> you I know. know what I'm saying. I know. 
but sometimes, but that's like Canada and me being here. Sometimes I have to leave Canada in order to understand how good I have it. And I think if more Americans would leave their country or their state and traveled more, they would realize what a glorious idea America is and kind of maybe treat each other a little bit different, you know, but same thing goes with music and society. Sometimes you just don't know what you've got until, you know, somebody else kind of shoves it in your face. Yeah. Until you venture out and try something and explore something new. I mean, that's what's so scary about society right now. Everybody is so siloed in their little totally. bubble and beliefs. Is it like that in Canada? It's not. No, it? no, no. We're I mean, a liberal country. Is- this, <sighs> we, our, our country, our country is kind of like the equivalent of you consistently voting the Democrats in, in the era of Obama where you can kind of look at some yep. of the bad thing that Obama did um, because he wasn't perfect, but you can absolutely look at, cause it's weird. Cause you know, the democratic party in the fifties and sixties weren't the democratic party that you know, and no. think that they're so laid back and liberal now, but we've been a, a very socialist country. We have, you know, healthcare provided for all. We pretty much take care of one another in terms of social services. And Americans seem to be like the only country left that really doesn't want to have um uh, uh, the 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 really truly melting pot where it's okay that other people speak in different languages it's okay to share in each other's experiences and it's okay to um to to pay a little bit more so that everybody can have a little bit more um and that's what that's what kind of a country it is it's also because we spend so much of our time in winter you know, we, yeah. Yeah. we're so happy to be outside and be friendly towards <laughs> one another because, yeah. you know, four, five, six months of our of our whole lives every single year is spent like in the cold. I don't know how you do it, man, because I can't stand cold weather. I'm in Marfa, Texas. It snowed a little bit here this morning. I'm just here for the on the holiday. Uh I I live in Austin. So Austin is like a blue dot in a huge ass red state and it's uh it's a great you know progressive town but texas uh you know it varies in 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 places so one of i got a kick a real kick out of we're going to talk about twitter for a second uh i got a real kick out of your post you posted weaver d's which was my favorite soul food restaurant as a student at the university of georgia and you mentioned oh, that's how the hell did yeah. you know about that? If people don't know. Oh, I'm a huge uh, REM fan. Oh, REM okay. probably told me more about America than any other history book. Oh, I was a huge okay. and still am from the murmur days um, as, a, as a young teenager trying to de- decipher what Michael Stipe was talking about um, to life's rich pageant and, and green and automatic for the people. And I would probably one of the very few people on this planet that loved their last three albums. Like it's just, um, so they were a huge influence politically, socially. And, and I, and I posted it a couple of times that Michael site probably opened up more doors for me when it came to learning about 
about culture because he was just kind of that guy is the 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 things that he would drop in interviews in terms of things that were happening in Georgia or things that were happening in America no i mean you know you, you talk about Canada nobody nobody was telling us about what was going on in the election between George Bush and Michael Dukakis except for the musicians whether it was Bruce Springsteen right. or REM or Peter Gabriel or you know and nobody was talking about Amnesty International except for those people but you know during that time of the you know, 86, 87, 88, 89, it seems like everybody had to have a cause. And that's where I learned a lot about the world and how it operates, not necessarily from them and not just their lyrics, but they were the starting point to, well, let's read about, you know, the history of America by Howard Zim. Let's read about this. Let's yeah. get a subscription to the Atlantic. Let's get a subscription to Texas right. Monthly and read about, you know, and all these things. And that's sure. kind of what I did. So, yeah. The huge, it was a so, great place. But how did you know about that's where they got the title? Did Stipe tell you that, Michael Stipe? No, no, because I'm a big REM fan. That's Whatever, just, man. That's Nobody just things, from Toronto that's, should know that's that. That's the shit, because that's the <laughs> shit that's in my head that nobody I else know. in my family well, want to know. Like, I know you're the same way. I'm I know. The same, I'm the same type, man. And people are like, how the fuck do Where, you know that? What other time <laughs> in your life would you ever have to bring up Rick James's minor birds? Like never. Well, that's why I did it, and I, that's how. Right. I because I knew you right. knew that answer. Yeah, exactly, man. exactly. And, we're uh, just two peas in a pod. But but REM led to like finding out about who the Indigo Girls were, and that's like my wife. I was going to ask you about that. Like how did how did you get involved? They're from Decatur, Georgia. Like, how did you meet them? Did they, did REM introduce you to them? Um, yeah, just that whole scene of Ani DeFranco, who I ended up working with for all, uh, just almost a decade. Um, Indigo Girl, the B-52s. Um, um, you know, so many of those of those Athens, Georgia bands. And I, I remember seeing the Inside Out documentary when I was about 14 or 15. And that, and that documentary opened up a whole... is awesome. Yeah, amazing, that right? An and so awesome. Let's Active and all these bands and you, you know. Pylon, don't forget about Pylon. Yeah, and then when yeah. you listen to their like Campus Radio Now or KEXP or WFUV, like they'll throw in those artists and it's like, oh yeah, here's my yeah. band. But it's like um, my wife's favorite band of all time was and still is the Inigo Girls. So when we went to go see, the, we saw the Inigo Girls in Syracuse, New York on our second date. And we drove oh, from nice. Toronto to Syracuse. And that's where we got to know one another. We were sitting in the car for five hours driving and um, um, met them through um, Amy Ray was starting a record or had a record label. And I was trying to get distribution onto Koch, which is the label that okay. I was working with. Um, so right. she ended up getting the, we ended up getting distro th through that. Um, helped them out doing PR for a couple of shows in, in Canada. Uh, then when Amy released her solo album, helped work that up here. Um, and so every time that they came, when Amy did solo stuff, we would all hang out together and go for food. And, 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 um, and again, like she's one of those people that all you want to do is just listen to her talk because that's the source, right? That's when you and I talk about Georgia music or REM or, you know, automatic for the people. It's like, we're getting this. I mean, you're way closer to it than I am, but I'm getting it from like 800 miles away. So I'm getting sure. it almost like as a, 
a carbon copy of a carbon copy. But you're getting it from the actual source. That's right, the important right. thing. And when you listen to Amy so Ray you, tell you about Michael Stipe, it's like, that's my God that you're talking about. Do you still talk to Amy often? Do you, um, I do see. You I, I talk to them whenever, whenever we both have a reason to. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You know, whenever I need them to make a video for somebody, you know, they'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll always come through, you know, they're lovely, amazing people. Just so good. So good at what they do and just such good people. Pure. I mean, you can feel the pure love and, and out of their music. It's just amazing. Well, that's, you know, and you know, you talk about politics and you talk about Canadians and stuff. If you're on the wrong, I used to, it used to be really easy. If you were on the wrong side of REM and the Indigo Girls, you were probably in the wrong. You know, if you decided yes. against what Peter Gabriel <laughs> and Bruce Springsteen and REM had to say, chances are you were probably on the wrong side of the issue. Now, it doesn't really matter if you're on the wrong side True. of the issue because you just have a strong enough voice, maybe even a louder voice than what I used to think was the right reasons. Who on earth would be against the ability to vote? Well, turned out a lot of people, you know? So No, I know, yeah. I know. But that's but that's what music teaches you, right? It it more yes. more musicians would kind of teach you about how to just get along with people and learn about your history of where you've come from because they had to as well. REM just didn't come from out of nowhere. You know, the stones didn't come out of nowhere. They all came from somebody else, from somebody else, from somebody else. And that's the best thing that history can teach you is not to fuck up or not to recreate those mistakes over and over again. But we keep fucking up over and over. Because you guys don't care. Because people don't care. Well, I do. And I mean, that's why I know you I, do, you know. but you're not no, punished not. by it anymore. I will see. I don't know. My mom, I told you today's my mom's anniversary passing away. Well, guess what? This is also the first anniversary of the inauguration of Joe Biden. And my mom, I basically, when I was her primary caregiver, my sisters helped out some. And the last I said, mom, you, you got to hang on. You got to hang on. Like, because she used to call Trump Trumpity Dumpity. And uh, that was her nickname for him. And I was staying up. And then the home health care nurse, I woke up around 10 and the inauguration had started. Garth Brooks sold. He sang, I mean, um, Amazing Grace. And the nurse yeah. said, oh, my God, you won't believe it. It's so beautiful. Your mom was humming because she couldn't speak anymore. She was humming along to Amazing Grace. Oh, wow. And so we got, I, I frantically called the minister and my sisters were there and my favorite home health care nurse that I hired. And we got to see her pass away in the home we all grew up in. And she hung on for Biden. Like she yeah. held her promise for me. Right. And that's just wild. She needed to it's see like Jedi. that things were going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, do you still talk to Stipe? Like he's been living in Athens uh, a fair amount. Do you never, never said a word to him. Never met oh, okay. him. Don't know him. What about him. Mike Mills? 
never met, met any no. of them in person. They are oh, okay. they are the 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 one band that I I'm not sure I would actually have something to say to them. You know, there's certain people that you admire and that you know about so much. It's funny. I just finished doing the 400th show that I have on on Sirius XM and um and I talked to three to four musicians every show. And my dream was always either Michael Stipe or Phil Collins, because I know so much about them and I just, you know, it would be a thrill. Um, I don't know if I would actually have a question for either of them because it would blow me away so much that they are in front of me, even by screen that I think the only thing I would be able to say to them is I think I know more about you than you do and just thank you. And that's it. You know, well then you and I are different on that. (laughs) <laughs> I, Michael, I'm, I'm gonna talk to Michael Stipe. Hopefully, I hope that I get a shot because he owns. Like when I was a student, he had uh, this kick-ass restaurant called The Grit, and it was vegetarian. So I would see him on the street, and he would walk in. He's just like a, and that's the thing. I've had the mentality: these people are just like you and me. They're they're great artists, but they're humans, right? Just, no, they're I not. would love to have a conversation. They're, they're not. They're yes, not they just human. I, I know. Dude. I know. They're um, they. They don't want um, you. They don't want you to be gushing over them. Like they just want you to treat no, them that, like a normal. No, and, and you're you're absolutely right. No, I, and I've certainly been around people that you know, you can't you can't tell Ringo Starr that he was in the Beatles because he knows he's in the Beatles. You know, you can't oh, ask him about some of those. <laughs> You know, although I wanted you to ask, I just wanted to ask him about, you know, the whole Paul is dead rumor. Like that fascinates me. That fascinates me culturally that that ever happened in a planet before social media, that that even existed. Um, But I think with with certain artists, um, it would be it would absolutely be amazing to talk to even something like Roland and Kurt from Tears for Fears. I got to talk to them for about an hour each, and I'm going to talk to them again for the new album coming up in the next couple of weeks. Oh, that's awesome. um, I, I I ran I, I ran out of time. I mean, every kind of geeky fan <laughs> question I ever wanted to yeah, find out, yeah. and just find out how they actually you know got to be you know, Kurt and Roland, um, you know, is, is awesome. But sometimes the best stories aren't the, are, are the one that you least expected. Um, with, I had John Taylor from Duran Duran on the show a couple of weeks ago, yep. and I was a yep. big Duran Duran fan growing up and saw them a dozen or two times. Um, and I love talking to John. I would also would have loved to talk to Roger Taylor, the drummer who left at like the peak of their career. And just disappear yeah. and just wanted yeah. to be a human being. That fascinates me to no end, you know, because those decisions that those people make, it's one thing to be like, wow, like when you're in the eye of a hurricane, like what's that truly like when you have all the drugs and women and money and fame <laughs> and fortune that you could ever want? What's it like to just say no to all of that? Like what goes through well, all of that? And that to me is the fascinating part about being a human being. Well, that's my point. So Roger Taylor is an example. They just want to be treated like they don't want 50 people like, oh my God, you're like. Simon you know? LeBon from Duran Duran does not want to be a normal person. No, no. Nick Rhodes <laughs> cannot, is, they're not normal. They will, they will dress up. I'm sure still to this day to the nine, if they're going to go to the oh, store. They'll ride, they'll, they'll ride that wave for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Of Montreal, Athens band. You you worked with them, is that correct? I did. I worked a couple of their their albums when they were on Bar None Records in the early 2000s. Right on. Yeah, I got cool. to meet them as well. Excellent guys. Great great bunch of people. I just got on Twitter in November, literally, and I struggle with doing it because I'm trying to focus on content. For me, the content and having interviews like someone like yourself and that's more important. I think that speaks for itself, but I have issues. I've never been a big social media guy. Like look at me Mm. and what you do. I love. And that's how I came across you is you throw out these great trivia things and, and ask people to engage with, and now you have friggin' what? 800,000 followers. How did you do that? Over a million uh, across social media um, because I, because I never really talked about myself um, because I always managed to put the spotlight on what other people were doing and, um, and, and not going negative really. I mean, that's, that was a big thing is I never wanted to divide up the audience into, you know, this is how we feel about politics or this is how we feel about life. Um, you kind of know a little bit about me based on the things I post or, but you know, like I'll still post about Olivia Rodrigo. Cause I think she's awesome. Um, knowing full well right. that I'm going to get eight retweets on Twitter. Um, but I can post a photo of Brian Jones from 1967 and get 16,000 retweets over. I know that I know how it works. Um, but I just choose to just continue to do what, what I wanted to post and all the information I wanted to purge out of my brain. Unfortunately for somebody like you, if you, you know, you just have to kind of find that road if you don't like to talk about yourself, but basically Twitter is just jumping up and down with a bullhorn, hoping that somebody notices you um, where complete strangers will follow you and talk to you for no reason. Yeah. I am taking the same approach as you, like just plant medicine, mental health. I'm not talking about negative things. So I'll stick with your, (laughs) <laughs> yeah formula. and just keep going just look on the trending topics wish people happy birthday blow people's minds you know just use it for good it, it, there, social media needs more people doing more good things on it and I'm not talking about just like trying to change the world just you know I can't tell you how many emails and direct messages I get from people every day that say you know you're the first thing you're the first stream I, I look at in the morning and the last before I go to sleep. And especially during the years of Trump where, you know, Twitter was just an absolute cesspool of, of hate, but I never went there. I never, I never wanted to be that. Do you ever make it down to the States for shows or to see concerts? I used to, but since, you know, I mean, nothing since the last three years or two years of COVID, I I don't even think I've gone out more than three times to see anybody in the last two years to begin with. Um, But yeah, I used to go to Syracuse. I used to go to Buffalo a lot. I was at South by Southwest for 21 straight years in the, that's why I was going to, yeah, I was, that's why I wanted to bring up. So I, uh, that's my favorite. You have ACL, but South by Southwest, I love because they have pop-up shows. And you get to see them in little, like these awesome kick-ass bands and little dive bars and get a r- really unique experience. With that coming up, fingers crossed, hopefully they don't cancel it again. What are some of the upcoming bands that like I should try to reach out to? Do you know bands that are going to be performing this year at South By? I don't. Or- 
every, I would reach out to to everybody because the fact that they're coming to (laughs) Austin, the fact that they're coming to Texas, first of all, is a big deal. And (laughs) you know, like, let's not minimize that. There are a lot of artists. I mean, there's so many things. Look, People love to shit on on South by Southwest, and I would never be one of them. I love South by Southwest. I walk differently when I'm in Austin. You know, I feel different when I'm there. And people love to complain about it. But the fact is that this year in 2022, if you are an artist coming down and playing South by Southwest, God love you. Because there's a lot of artists that's not even stepping foot in the state of Texas. They're not breaking COVID protocols. They have no desire to travel. They have no desire to put their audience at risk. Um, And that they have, you know, it's just going to be a very different year, I think, for the next at least another year, just the amount, the sheer amount of cancellations that America and Canada and the world is facing with tours is astounding. And that should tell people maybe let's just sit this one out again while we still take care of COVID because it's not over. It's not over by a long shot, but I, I miss going down to Austin greatly, bigly. Well, I hope, you know, Please let next me know year. if you come Next down year, you there. and I will go and we'll, we'll we'll meet up and we'll have tacos and nachos for breakfast. And probably we'll talk six hours about the most mindless, trivial <laughs> music trivia. Absolutely. Totally. We'll go see that block over there. Let's talk about who, yeah. who landed, who walked past that block in 1976 on the way yeah. to a jam yeah. session that nobody in the world cares about except for you and I. I did read something I, I kind of wanted because it's personal. Your daughter, uh, she's doing a lot of stuff uh hannah's advocacy you want to talk about that yeah yeah her name is hannah she's now 19 years old and she wrote her first book at 16 and it was called momentous and it's how you find your spark how you find the thing that wants you know to find your passion um and how you can change the world and how you can put it into practice and she interviewed people like malala and 18 others um just trying to trying to make the world a better place. And she's traveled across North America, speaking all over the place um, to hundreds of thousands of people. And um, she's still doing good. And she loves to put the spotlight on other people that are doing good. And you can find her at that Hannah Alper on Instagram and the website as well. Yeah. No, I just came across it. And I thought it was for her age when she started, like, we need more people like that. (laughs) I agree. She started uh, her blog at nine years old and started both, you know, talking about what people can do within their community to help out the environment and, you know, small things add up. And that's, that's what she's been preaching for, for the last, you know, 10 years. And then uh, the last thing I wanted to bring up was uh, your Sirius XM channel. How, how long have you had it going on? It was Uh, in Canada first, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's channel 167, Canada Talks, but you can also pick it up in America on the SiriusXM app. And the show is called At That Eric Alper. And I get to just have play dates online with with artists that I love from Bob I'm in, Like I'm to, envious. Yeah. Yeah, you, you're yeah, Amy it's a lot man. of fun. You lucky bastard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, you, just, you know you what? You you keep doing this and you're going to have your own show on Sirius XM very soon too. Don't worry. I, um, well, listen, man, I, I really appreciate this. Uh, this has been awesome. I could talk to you oh, for like another eight hours. Oh, it's been great to talk hours. to you, Tom. 
I'm so glad that that we met. And I know that there's like a second yeah. or two delay, but you know, look at us. Look at us pile through this technology in 2022. True. Uh, at least we do have that. And so that's with the technology, I'm still able to book guests and, and do my dream with the podcast. And you're obviously doing that as well. Yeah. Yep. Well, look, you know, just keep doing it, you know, do, do what you love. You know, look, all you have to do is just take a look at the artists that you and I have talked about in the last hour and a half. None of them had a plan B. People just did it. They just did it or that they had a plan B and it was a job and that was it. No, nope. they just did it. No, nope. no, I don't. I'm not doing anything else for the rest of my life. Like I refuse to. I've, I've been stuck, did sales, stuck in a cubicle, work for corporations. Screw that noise. I'm done. Like this is yeah, what good for you. I want to do. So you, you're, you've been an inspiration to me, man. And, and I'm glad that you're putting out positive vibes to people. And that's why you have over a million followers. And uh, but I only know four people going... in real life, though. Yeah, right. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's been great hanging out with you, Tom. I truly appreciate it for everything. Well, Eric, can't thank you enough, man. I really, Thanks, Tom. really do. It's a pleasure to be here. and It's an honor to talk to you. Same. As a listener, I'm sure you could tell that Eric and I could continue riffing on music history and trivia for hours on end. I had a great time talking with Eric. Eric Alper really is that Eric Alper. And if you're not one of his over 1 million social media followers, then I doubt you're listening to this podcast anyway. Eric is an amazing, positive, and gregarious influence across the music industry. And he's making his own mark in music history. I already take to heart his recommendations on growing an audience. First, stay positive. Second, don't talk about yourself. And third, Use social media for good. For Eric, who I know is listening, I look forward to meeting you in person and setting hours from my day aside to banter on music history. You have an open invitation to return to Neurons to Nirvana anytime. And for the listeners, there's a lot more of this music trivia and nuggets of music fodder coming your way. On my next episode, I'm excited to introduce funk boy Ivan Bodley who has been the bassist to over 50 Grammy Award-winning musicians and is himself inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame. As Eric said, music teaches you about your history. Keep listening to learn more. For now, though, thank you again, Eric Alper, for your passion to music and your positivity. And for you, the listeners, thank you always for caring about music and creativity, for sharing this time with me, and for being a part of this ongoing journey. Until next time, this is Neurons to Nirvana.